thankful for every drop of rain, say amen. amen. <laughs> it is, even though, of course, we could use a, about a 40-day drizzle, uh, we're thankful very much for every drop the Lord sends our way. I believe Jordan Lovett has our specialist one.
Thank you, Jordan, and thank the Lord. Jesus does love us, and it is something we can take great assurance in. Hope you picked up a bulletin, and you see, of course, there, Second Kings chapter 6, as we'll begin reading God's Word. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word as you find your place? Second Kings chapter 6. Beginning with verse 1, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight or small for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they, were come, when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee, and he put out his hand and took it. Father, we bow together. I thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to let your word speak to our hearts this morning. I thank you for the rain, and I thank you for everyone that's able to be a part of this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. On this simple subject, when we lose our edge, um, it's easy in any business, personal life, church, or basically any application, an edge can become dull. Whether it be a, anything from a pocket knife to uh or figurative sense. Now, that's what I'm talking about in your life. You lose your edge, so to speak. You lose your sharpness. And as we look at this kind of a neat story, there's a lot going on in this situation. Well, number one, they entered into a building project because they've really, they've got going on in this little section here. A lot of people believe it was something similar to a seminary. Bible students under men of God, prophets of God, and you had followers just as in the days of Aaron, Samuel, Eli, all of those guys. Even thinking about up to New Testament days, you had Paul and Timothy. People who came alongside and were, um, if you will, trainees, apprentices, uh, students of God's Word, disciples, followers. And Jesus Himself had that same pattern. He had people that he trained and that he taught for three and a half years while he was here. He even had those inner circle, some people that he pulled aside for some special tasks. And so we have a neat story about losing our edge. In verse 1, uh, we have what it says, well, we have a problem. And I simply titled verse 1, uh, uh, if you will, a, a good problem. 
And let's take a look at too many, too much. What are good problems? There are such things as good problems. Uh, let's look, uh, and I just want to put my finger on Exodus 36. Now, this is a neat scripture. Some of you may be aware of where I'm headed there. And so just put your finger there on Exodus 36 and do all the way across your Bible to Luke chapter 9. And let's just uh, look at these real quick. I've got a big section, big old thick hand of Bible here, all the way from Exodus 36 to Luke 9. And let's take a quick peek at these. Two good problems to have. So, did you know there are a lot of people, marriages, and churches that have problems? But there are such things as good problems. Let's take a quick look at these. Exodus 36 and verse 5. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. So they had to tell them, stop bringing offerings. Stop making uh, the curtains. Stop making the, 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 the hooks and the, the ringlets and all the pieces that they needed for the tabernacle that they were trying to make. It was a building project. And then if you go to Luke chapter 9 and verse 10, we have another good problem. The apostles, they returned. They told, them everything, told Jesus everything that had been done. And he took them aside privately into a desert place, into a city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them and spake unto them about the kingdom of God and healed them, that they had no need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away, uh, that they may go into the towns and country about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And we said, well, we don't have anything but five loaves and two fishes. And how can we come up with all this? So, And then he said, make them sit down by 50. So we have some good problems here. Now, so it tells me right there, and you too, that you can look at modern day good problems. And there's even biblical situations right out of the Bible. What are good problems? Man, you're bringing too many offerings. That's a good problem. You're giving too much of your time. <clears throat> you're giving too much of yourself. Slow down. Matter of fact, if, as you look at this passage, you find out even before it and after it that he said, we need to rest. And he would get aside and rest some because their work was so big. In the Old Testament, what was the problem? The people were giving too much. In the New Testament, what's the problem here? We've got too many people attending this fellowship. That's a good problem. It's great. You know, what if you invited somebody to your house and nobody showed up? Well, that's a problem. Nobody came. I was expecting a crowd, but nobody came. It's kind of like inviting people to church. Wouldn't it be a good problem if we didn't have enough seats this morning? That would be a good problem. But guess what? I see one, two, three, four. Five, six pews. Why doesn't anybody sit on these first two pews? 
All y'all are back there. Why is that? Well, anyway, maybe you're just afraid I'd get in your face or something like that. But just come on. I'll be nice. I, I will. And uh, so, but anyway, so these are good problems. If we didn't have enough seats, if we, or if our parking lot is too full, and it has been. Matter of fact, we uh, had all that gravel put in the back recently, and trying to get you know our church members to park in the back so that our guests would have a place to park in the front. That's a good problem. Not enough parking. I remember one Sunday we came out, and our whole driveway over here was full. The little uh, connecting driveway was full. I've even seen people parking over at the cemetery, the flat little area there across by the culvert. Now, that's a good problem. So what is the problem here in this verse? The building they had or where they were hanging out was too small. We need a bigger building. That's a good problem. So let's head on to the building project, which, of course, is in verses 2 through 4. Now, we read this whole scripture. Now, in looking at this right here, someone saw a need and came up with a plan. Any time, you know, a lot of times in churches today and in our lives, and this happens on the job, many of you are aware of this. Have you ever saw a need and, uh, or maybe you work in a place where people say, that's not my job. I'm, I, whoever's job that is, it's not my job to pick that up. It's not my job to do that. It's not my, you know, and will. But a lot of, you know, times that attitude sometimes it'll a company will squeak by on that attitude. But churches and families, folks, you can't say in a marriage that's not my job. It's not, you know, it's both of your jobs because it's teamwork. I've met marriages saying, it's not my job to load or unload the dishwasher. It's not my job to change those dirty diapers. It's not my job to take out the trash. That's his job. You know, but when you start drawing lines like that, you're setting a recipe up called failure. It, there will be Failure, failure to communicate. There will be failure in teamwork. There will be fail. And folks, it's in here. You didn't see that in this particular situation. What did you see? He saw a need and he came up with a plan. He said, "Let's all go." And guess what? He said, "Elijah, or excuse me, Elisha. I know you're old. I know that you're having trouble getting around. Your arthritis has got you." Would you please come on down here and just hang out and you'll encourage us. And he said, you know what? I think I would like to go down there and where the trees are and where they're chopping down some wood. I think I'll come along. So he, they want everybody on board. Get everybody involved. Invite everybody along. Even if all they can do is whistle. It'll keep us entertained while we work. And so they were inviting everybody. So it wasn't this... Uh, that's not my job because anytime you have problems, you know, somebody said this one time, I love it. Problems are just opportunities. I was listening on the, uh, uh, way back from the hospital. Man, it was putting Trey out like a light. All I've got to do is turn on talk radio. I love talk radio. Trey is riding with me. We're coming back 
And uh, we had been by the hospital, went by to see Miss Francis and the twins and, the, and Henry and all of that on Tuesday. And we were coming back and I was listening to uh, the buzz, you know, Arkansas Razorback sports and all that. And Trey, he's over there. He's my co-pilot. He's asleep. And uh, so I'm listening in this. Uh, they were talking about this ballpark somewhere around Little Rock and this coach who used to be a coach back in the 40s. Now, that's a little league coach has been around a while now. And he said, what is the biggest difference you can see in the changes in coaching little league from like years gone by? He said, well, there is one thing I've noticed. He says, it seems like that kids today, every time they strike out or mess up, that you just got to really, really, really encourage them. They handle success really well. But most kids, this is this coach talking, on, you, you can look him up on their Buzz archives or whatever, and because uh, I don't recall his name, but he said, kids can't handle failure. Because you've got to give them pep talk after pep talk, and it just after striking out, they'll get down and they won't ever get back up again. Just after, and so, and I've seen that myself. A lot of, whether it's self-esteem or just the way kids are wired, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't really know how to put a finger on it. But I've seen that myself. Folks, a lot of people, it's easy when things in marriage, listen to me very closely, y'all know this, churches, marriages, jobs, it's easy when things are going well. It's how you react and how you go to the Lord when things are not going well. When there are problems. How do you handle failure? You know, failure can be your biggest teacher. Failure can teach you ten times more than any success ever did. How, what do you learn from failure? How do you grow from failure? Well, folks, in looking at this today, they had, they had some problems, and the problem was, was a good problem, but many times when adversity hits, when things go wrong, people fall apart. And it's kind of like, you know, when something happens at church, it seems like I've got to go around and, and, and give everybody a pat on the back and do this and do that. But many times, and especially, I've seen this in relationships and marriages and even in my own life, in my own life, whenever... Uh, I know this is going to surprise you, but, you know, every now and then, somebody may have something critical to say to the pastor. It just is out of the, I mean, it's once in a blue moon, once every hundred years, it just may be every now and then. But a lot of times in my flesh, when a critical comment comes or, or whatever it may be, and this happens in your life too, don't lie. A lot of times when criticism comes, what's your first reaction? I'm done. I won't ever volunteer for vacation Bible school again. I won't ever teach another class again, preachers. Well, I'm just quitting the ministry. This is too... Who signed up for this? This is just too much. Many people have reacted that way in jobs, marriages. How many people? Just one critical word. And people have quit jobs. Good jobs. 
high-paying jobs, good retirement jobs. Just quit. Walk away. Because why? Their feelings were hurt. Well, if that's all it takes for the devil to get to you, he is going to send every feeling-bustered person that he can directly to your front door. And You know, but I grew up in a time where, yeah, you know, and you think about it, I was talking to Vance Nutt, who is at uh, Oak Grove and Benton. He's been there going on 30 years as a pastor. And he was preaching one day in chapel at seminary where I teach there in Benton, right there near where he's pastoring. And he was talking about how to stay. He said, every time you're on the verge of quitting or making a decision, folks, this will work at jobs, marriages, churches, everything. He says, never make a decision while you're upset. Give yourself three weeks. He said, it's amazing how things will change after two or three weeks. You know why? Because many people have made bad decisions based on not what the Lord wants, but based on emotions. But hey, guess what? If you've ever felt that way, don't get too down on yourself. It's your flesh. And it's my flesh. I've quit the ministry probably at least a hundred times, usually on Mondays. At least a hundred times, and I'm sure Brother Crane has similar experiences in his ministry and life too. Well, moving on to the next one. Anytime you have problems or have a building project, and I mean building project, that could be figurative. You could be building your marriage. You could be building a relationship. You could be building a church, so on and so forth. All right? Now, finally, we have something missing. So, in verse 5, it says, There was a fellow chopping wood, fell in a beam, and it just means a large piece of lumber. And the axe head flew off. It flew off the handle and landed in the water. And he and this is double trouble. Why? Because it was borrowed. Well... <clears throat> You know, there's some good things about this problem, and many times in, in our marriages, in our homes, and in our churches, if something, if you're busy and busy and busy and doing and going through the motions, we were having deacons meeting this morning. It went great, had a great deacons meeting, but we were talking about trying to, what can we do, and dealing with a, a, a budget crunch and different things like that. And what do we have left in July to do? We've got a church camp, one church camp left, and this and that. Had a, 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 you know, it's great. Our train's moving. The church is moving forward. But beware, it's when everything is going smooth that things can, so to speak, fall off, go to missing. What's missing? What is wrong in our church and in our lives whenever you can go through the motions just like Brother Norman leads our music and has for how many years has he led our music? He can lead the music blindfolded. He can do it backwards. We know the songs, but we, do we know what we're singing? You see, what am I saying? We go through the motions. A lot of times we lose our edge or lose our focus. What's missing? There are some things missing. Man, what, what do you do when you realize something's wrong? Maybe something's wrong in our church. Maybe something's wrong in our home. And we just can't put our finger on it. 
Lord, I don't know what it is. Something's not right. Something's not right in my home. Something's not right in our church. Something's missing. Something has left. Well, when that happens, a good couple of verses I want to share with you in Psalms chapter 120. And again, I'm going to kind of divide that Bible up and I'm going to hold both places until you get there. Psalms 120 and then also Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to get over there. Here we go. Psalms 120 and verse 1. Very awesome verse. In my distress... I cried unto the Lord, and He heard me. Now, now that's a great Old Testament example. Now, whether you're reading along with me or listening along, listen very carefully what I'm about to read to you in Hebrews 5-7. And it's talking about Jesus. You know, it says he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and we've been studying that. But what, does it say, what else does it say about Jesus in Hebrews 5, 7? Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Have you ever realized Jesus did all that? Have you ever thought about that? That he cried with tears and fear? I think Jesus, as a matter of fact, the Bible says he experienced all things back in Hebrews 4, all things like we do except without sinning. He experienced anxiety. He experienced Fear. He experienced hunger. He experienced weariness. He experienced tiredness. He experienced temptations. And he cried out with tears. He wailed in his praying. He cried out. The Old Testament verse says, "In my dis- when, did you- when do we wait to call on the Lord? When is your prayer life the strongest? When you're in trouble. When did this fellow cry out to Elisha? Elisha! It, it flew off, man! I, and I don't even have money to replace it because it's borrowed! I don't have money for an axe head! I had to borrow that one! He cried out to a good fellow, Elisha. In our Psalm scripture, it says, He cried out to, in my distress, I cried out to the Lord, and even Jesus. Cried out to the Lord, even with fear and anxiety. You say, I thought He was God. Yeah, He's all God, but He's all man, which is pretty cool. Jesus, the Son of God, in the flesh, wrapped in flesh, yet without sin. What did He do when He got in trouble? He cried out. Folks, it's okay to call for help. I was talking to Marlene yesterday, last, last night, matter of fact. Guess what she did yesterday? Nine, one, one. Ambulance. Henry. 
she described to me the blood loss. I'm not going to describe it to you. I kind of got weak in the knees when she did that with me. She needed some help. 911. There's nothing wrong when you need help to call for help. Matter of fact, that's what we all should do. In just a little bit, we're going to have a hymn invitation. And it's your opportunity to cry for help. When you realize this, when you realize that, did you know this? He cried out and he said, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. You know, and I put some four points here down I, that, that you need to realize that everything you have as a child of God, even your salvation, even your righteousness is borrowed. Your righteousness, if it's yours, the Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. But if it's borrowed, if it belongs to Jesus, it makes it, you can take something black with sin, wash it in red, and it comes out white as snow. That's awesome. Isaiah one eighteen. it says that we can be washed with the blood of the Lamb and become white as snow. Four things you and I need to realize. Number one, I'm just going to read them verbatim. I typed them in there for you so you can have them. You're only as powerful as your dependence on God. Don't try to solve problems on your own strength. Number two, don't pray. Tell you what, I'm just going to bow up and live for God. And guess what? You're doing it in your strength. You need to pray, God. Would you come live through me? Don't pray. You know what? I just need to bow up. And I'm going to work for God. I'm going to visit more people and do more and make more phone calls. And be, I've just, I'm, tell you what, preacher, and you better tell everybody Sunday how much I do. Because I've been doing and working. <laughs> well, that doesn't need to be our desire or our prayer. Our prayer should be, God, do you do your work through me. We don't need to pray, I'm going to serve God. You know, starting right now, preacher, you're right. Don't put off what we need to do today. I'm going to start serving God today. Wrong prayer. A prayer of dependence means you say, God, would you serve through me? There is a difference. You see, all the first prayers are in your own strength. The second ones are in His strength. His strength. His dependence. Well, when they lost it, he said, uh, where would you lose it? This time I'm going to separate your Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis 31, just take a quick look at these or listen along real quick. Genesis 31, 13. And then all the way... Now, I've preached from Genesis to the maps before, but we're not quite that far. In Revelation chapter 2, where'd you lose it? If something's missing, where'd you lose it? Karen is the Sherlock Holmes of our house. I don't know about y'all's household, but if guys, if y'all ever lose anything, 
Have you ever asked your wife, and this is totally embarrassing, you know, Karen, I've lost it. She'll say, where'd you lose it? Well, I don't know, last time I had it was so... She walks right over there and says, it's right here. I hate that, but it happens more often than I can count. Guys, that, I know that doesn't ever happen to any of y'all, okay? I guess I'm the only... Some of y'all are grinning like possums, so I guess maybe I'm not the only one, but... I just drives me nuts that she can she has that unique uncanny ability to find the stuff that I can't see right in front of my face. But guess what? Most of the time, where is it? Where I left it. I just can't find it for some weird reason. But anyway, guess where they found this? Right where they lost it. And in our text Thinking about back to Bethel, God tells them in Genesis 31 and verse 13, He said, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar. In other words, where you worship before. And where thou vowedest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out of this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. In other words, there's a famous sermon, back to Bethel. Go back to the, whenever you first met the Lord, remember when you first got saved. That coincides with Revelation 2, verse 4 through 5. This church was a good church. They preached the truth. Man, they had it going on. They were very scriptural. They were teaching right out of the Bible. This was a church that knew doctrine. But he said, Nevertheless, I am somewhat against thee, because thou hast lost thy first love, or left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence or where thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. Remember, when you first got saved, remember the joy that you had. Most of us lose... You can't lose your salvation, but what did David say? You can lose the joy of your salvation. Now, everybody in this room, everybody in this room, this again, these principles are so true. Why? Because they come from the Lord. If your job is being neglected, if your marriage or relationships are being neglected, and if our church has lost our edge, it's due to two things. It's in looking right in there, either neglect or sin. Neglect is something that we did not do that we should do. And sin is something you did that you should not do. Got a, my usual pocket knife and my britches, kind of like... <clears throat> Miss Martha used to ask Brother Bobby, do you have your pocket knife on? He said, well, I got my britches on, don't I? I love that. <laughs> that thing could get dull. You got to keep it sharp. We can lose our edge. Why? Neglect. Sin is just plumb abuse. Doing something you should not do. Have you ever used your knife for a screwdriver or a pry bar? Uh-uh. Not a good, it's not what it's designed to do. You know what sin is? Going against God's Word or God's design. 
That's it. Going against God. Transgression against God. How to get it back. It says in the text, well, and it says he cut, notice he cut down, a, in the King James it says a stick. And it means basically this, uh, a smaller tree. Now a lot of people think, well he cut down a stick and he poked it through the hole and there, and no, that's not what happened. Because if that's what happened, then they didn't need the power of God to get it back. If they just poked, a, you know, got a stick and cut a stick and let's poke it through the hole in the axe head right there and get it out of the water, then what do you need the Lord for? That's not what they did. They took what they came after. In other words, we need some boards, we need some two by fours and two by sixes and some four by fours for the big post up here, and we need all that. And he said, get one of those boards that we came after, cut it down, make a board, and throw it in. Many times. We have to sacrifice what's valuable to us. Our time, our talents, they threw in what they had come after. And that is wood. It wasn't a stick as in a thimble. It was a board that he threw in the water. The stick is referenced the same word in the Hebrew language even. If they threw in a tree, they cut down a tree. You don't cut down a stick. That's what you pick up off the ground. Why do you have to cut it down? Because that's what they were there after. He threw it in and guess what? The iron did swim. And it wasn't floating on the end of the pole. It was just a miracle. It was just a sacrifice of what they had come after. Folks, the biggest sacrifice of all time involved a tree. Somebody cut down a tree one day. And made a cross out of it. That tree was nailed my Savior and your Savior. The biggest sacrifice of all time involved cutting down a tree. Now, your Bible and my Bible says this, Cursed is he, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Jews executed people by stoning. But they said an extra curse was on people who died on a tree. Even our Savior was cursed for me and for you. Today, will you say, "What, Lord, I, I need to make some changes. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you how to respond to this message. If you've lost your edge... If something's missing in your life, your marriage, your home, your relationship with God, you know what that means? Something's not as sharp as it ought to be. I've lost my edge. I need to go back to where I found it. It may involve getting back on your knees and praying to God, saying, God, I, don't, I can't get my joy back without you. I cannot get my relationship with you back without you. And that relationship means that closeness, that walking with you every day. If you've lost that edge, if you've lost that relationship, if you've lost that closeness or that fellowship, if you will, say, I, I need that back, Lord. I need that back. It can be yours for the asking. Remember how I said you go back to where you lost it and what? Call on Him for help. Crying to Him. Call on Him. He will answer. 
He will hear you. As we prepare for a hymn invitation as a song leader and the musicians come, every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Lord, I just pray right now that we would turn to you, realizing that when we lose that edge, when we lose that focus, it's because of either A, neglect, or because of sin. There may be something that we've done that has come between us and you. Something that we've neglected to do. We've stopped talking to you. We've stopped reading your word. Whatever that neglect may be. We don't take you seriously anymore. We just play church now. We just go through the motions. There's no meaning in it. There's no purpose in it. Dear Lord, I pray that we'd find that purpose. That we wouldn't just say, I'm going to serve you, but dear Lord, that you would serve through us. That you would do the work through us. And in us, that it's not our righteousness, it's yours, dear Lord. Help us to see that. In Jesus' name, amen.